You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And today we're looking at the sixth episode of season two of Bugs, entitled Gold Rush. Episode synopsis. A new employee, Ms. Pike, at the East European Monetary Commission, EEMC, is actually a saboteur and inserts a gaseous substance into a suspiciously convenient access door in the ventilation system, seemingly designed for introducing strange gaseous substances into the air system. Perhaps it's for sending a lavender scent throughout the building to improve employee morale. One employee's morale is at an all-time low as Pike murders him on her way out. The computers start going kablooey. Time to call in Team Bugs, who have to get past the impenetrable, state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line security system, a.k.a. just another Saturday night for Team Bugs, and then rescue the computer system from what they think is a computer virus, but soon discover is a biological one. That, too, is really just another Saturday night for Team Bugs. Plan thwarted, and Marcel is making a killing from prison on the monetary exchange markets. Back at Team Bug's headquarters, Ross and Beckett are studying the virus dispenser device, rather than the circuitry of the affected computers. And an accidental contact with Ross's gold ring reveals two horrifying truths. One, that Ross doesn't implement biohazard protocols at their headquarters when bringing contaminated equipment suspected of being a dangerous biological agent. And two, said biological agent eats gold, a key component of computer circuit boards. Had this attack succeeded, the East European currencies would have been ruined, all save for the Baltic Mark, which is the only non-member of the EEMC. A little online research shows that Maximilian Christo has been investing heavily in Baltic Marks and owns a bioengineering firm called BioGrow, just exactly the kind of place that might engineer a gold-eating virus. Ed as the unqualified scientific member of the team, goes undercover to BioGrow as a safety inspector. He is met by Ms. Pike, who runs the place. He's soon spotted as a fraud, but not before he identifies a conveniently labeled vat of Thiobacillus auric oxidans, named in honor of auric goldfinger, perhaps. Ed is captured and taken to be killed, but not before again, perhaps in honor of or Goldfinger, Pike and Christo tell him their plan. They're going to make a second attempt. and This time, they're going to use the virus to destroy the gold reserves located in the EEMC vault. Roz and Beckett to the rescue, but it's hardly necessary as Ed manages to escape almost single-handedly. Convinced that the baddies have already somehow infiltrated the vault, Beckett and Ed are taken to inspect the vault security. Once inside it, Pike and Christo detonate a device containing the virus hidden on Ed's person. Release of a heretofore unknown pathogen somehow triggers the vault security, sealing it. Beckett and Ms. Vanguard, the EEMC boss, escape in the nick of time. Ed does not and is sealed in. Roz and her microscope back at Team Bugs HQ work on developing an antidote to the gold virus. If only she had an actual sample of it. She breaks into BioGrow and cheekily proceeds to use their facilities to synthesize the antigen. 
Meanwhile, the gold in the vault is beginning to react to the virus. When it reaches 120 degrees, Fahrenheit presumably, the process will be irreversible. Also, a laser comes down from the vault ceiling to menace Ed. The manual controls for opening the vault are sealed behind another state-of-the-art security system. A lock with a physical key, apparently. So this is not just another Saturday night for Team Bugs. Beckett has to climb through the toxic vent system, which opens onto the manual control computer room, to save Ed. Roz gets caught, but not before she's put her formidable bioengineering skills to good use. She's created the antigen. She manages to escape, killing Pike in the process. She makes it to the EEMC with plenty of time to spare, but she cannot release the antigen into the vault as long as Ed is there. Her formula is not so much an anti-gold virus, but instead a virus that destroys all life. Beckett has an obstacle, the vents, which have been conveniently man-sized so far, narrow down to man-without-air-supply size. Leaving his air tanks behind, Beckett speed crawls through the vents and into the control room. Ed has been playing hide-and-seek with a laser, or should I say lasers, because each time he outsmarts one, another deploys from the ceiling. Security arrives with the physical key, which is stored off-site for safety. But it's not really security, it's actually Christo, who has somehow taken the time to identify, intercept, and substitute himself for the EEMC's security company, and still managed to arrive just moments after Roz. He takes Roz and Vanguard prisoner as the virus temperature, while still cooler than Ed on the thermal imager, is apparently moments from hitting 120 degrees. Fahrenheit, presumably. Beckett activates manual control and gets the vault open to rescue Ed, while Roz uses the distraction to overpower and kill Christo. Roz's death virus kills the gold virus, and we all live happily ever after knowing that Roz has created a substance that can destroy all life on Earth. Oh, and it's revealed that the prison warden is actually aware that Marcel is actually somehow keeping tabs on Team Bugs, but he is unaware that the comedy telethon thermometer on Marcel's computer when it hits the top, the shit will hit the fan, despite Marcel quite literally telling him that it's coming. The end. So, Gold Rush, which I argue should be named Gold Fever because of the temperature thing. But, okay, Gold Rush, fine. What do you think? Gold Fever? Gold, gold Fever, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it should be called that instead. Uh, well, but what's that a ref? What's that a reference? Oh, you've to? never heard the term gold fever. It's no, uh, what drove really. everyone to California for the gold rush. Gold fever. I got to have my money. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Money, money thing. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's not a thing. I, I live I close enough to California, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's maybe not something that Brits would know about. Or maybe it's just my own personal ignorance. I shouldn't necessarily assume, but um, it's your socialistic, communistic, anti-capitalist nature. You just are not. You don't. You don't well, feel no. I mean, it's the, we're, we are familiar with the term. I am familiar with the term "gold rush," and you know that whole. Is is there a Chaplin film titled "Gold Rush"? There there's, might there's, be. There's, there's, there's definitely you know there are de there are definitely kind of cultural reasons why I think it has seeped into the the british vernacular as well um but the the term gold fever just yeah didn't okay. it wasn't familiar well, to me but i i i can understand why it would make sense fair enough then i mean yeah i mean it's it is the gold fever that caused the gold rush yes it's 
Yeah. I mean, well, arguably it's the gold that caused the gold rush, but you know what I mean? It's the, the desire to get anyway. All right. Well, that joke uh, wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked on a British audience in the 1990s. So could we go? So name notwithstanding, how much did you love this episode? Um, I would like, I've got to say, if, if it's purely a question of, did I enjoy the episode? Well, yes, I did enjoy the episode. It's, it's got it's got more of that feeling of fun back i think it has it it's kind of it's pacey um and it it's fun seeing ed kind of doing the the james bond thing slightly incompetently <laughs> and mm. the set pieces are maybe a little bit more imaginative so there's there's enough there's enough to enjoy here but i not i'm not explosions. sure not as many explosions that's that's true um but certainly certainly plenty of the kind of action action set pieces and you know the kind of ceiling lasers and all that um (laughs) i kind I, i kind of feel that um some of the issues that we've talked about are still around um you know, from the last couple of episodes, well, in particular, the direction. Uh, so this is another Andrew Grieve episode. I didn't feel that he had necessarily got hugely better performances out of his cast this time, um, although better than Blackout, because that was pretty awful. Hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, he. I think he paced the episode quite, quite well. I tell you what, the, I, I was kind of watching it, sort of thinking, I am actually quite enjoying this, even though I'm not really sure why. And I, I, I think one of the things I want to call out this week is the work done on the music. I just I felt that that contributed a lot to the sense of urgency and an ex- and excitement that you get throughout the episode. So, mm. um, so yeah, credit there. Interesting you should mention that, because this is one of the few episodes where I've noticed the incidental music during the episode, not at the, for want of a better word, scene breaks or, you know, where they come to the end of a scene and something happens. And then, well, yeah, they do have scene breaks, which uh, we haven't really commented on that, but it's interesting, isn't it? That a BBC show should do, should be structured in a way that is so reminiscent of ITV shows mm, mm-hmm. because obviously every, every, well, any, any commercial TV show, I'm sure this is a thing on, on, uh, on your commercial channels as well, but they need to make sure that they're hooking people in when they're going away for sort of three minutes of adverts or whatever, mm-hmm. so that people will actually come back. And that doesn't really matter on, on, the BBC because you're never going to have to put a break in there. Um, and I'm, I, I don't know whether it's because this is so deliberately trying to ape some of those shows. And we've talked about the Avengers in particular, or because it's to do with their, their hopes for overseas sales. And we've talked about the fact they didn't really seem to break into America before. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, but 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 um, yeah, that does that does create that kind of musical sting opportunity. Yeah. but but in this episode, I did actually notice uh, a couple of places, and it was variations on the theme music mm-hmm. that were in the 
uh, chase sequences uh, or when Roz was rushing to the um, center or whatever it was, I, I noticed the music and I normally don't. So there was something different about the music in this episode that, that caught my attention. I don't know why just, just was. Um, so I, I think it's interesting that you would choose this episode to mention the music when this is the first one where I actually put a mark in my notes saying music, I heard music <laughs> in, in incidental music. Um, but yeah. And, and, I, 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 I can't remember if I, if I have said on the subject of the music, um, you know, when we started discussing the show that the, the fact that I hadn't watched it for 25 years, I still had absolutely crystal clear in my mind the theme tune it's it's um you know it's distinctive it, yeah one of one of the things i i so it, it it really has uh has sticking powers and it's that it was interesting to me that um when we were having a when you when you mentioned to me that what one of the uh show listeners who um was discussing bugs before we started to watch it ourselves said that the the theme tune wasn't particularly memorable well I, that that was one of the things that i that i you know <laughs> i could get stuck in my head just by recollecting the show in in any form i am particularly afflicted with remembering theme songs to tv shows so this one will stick with me um i'm sure so I, I, I uh, probably not the typical person because they all stick with me. All of those theme songs from when I was a kid, all of them are there. They're in my head even now. So, yeah. And, and bad ones, bad ones too. All there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess there's, de there's definitely um, an element of that with me as well. That I, almost, almost any show, if you if you say the name, I can probably bring the theme tune to mind. But all the same, it's it's almost like this this one would pop into my head unbidden sometimes. Did you make? I'm uh, just curious. Did you make uh, uh, cassette tapes with the theme songs from TV shows on it? Yep. Yeah, I had dozens of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had books full of them. You know, the little books where you'd stick the cassette tape in it and fold it. Oh yeah, and dozens of those. And and just I I just I think I was really indiscriminate about it as well. Just if I liked a show, then I would you know tape the theme tune, even if it was a rubbish theme tune. So. I I would have you know I had like all nine versions of the theme from Mash on there, <laughs> every different instrumentation, and I could tell you which one they were. I could hear it and I could go, oh, yeah, that's BJ Honeycutt's first year, second half. You know, it's just <laughs> because I just listened to them over and over again. And I, I, yeah, so I'm compulsive about theme songs. So, no, I'll have no trouble remembering uh, the Bugs theme for, for many years to come. I'm reasonably sure. <clears throat> it's assuming I can remember my own name in, a, you know, in 10 years. So I should still, <laughs> still know the theme. I, I'll say this about the episode, switching gear a little bit. Um, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I do. I think I mentioned this, I don't know, last time, time before or something. There is a certain amount of they just sort of thrown their hands in the air and said, ah, what the heck? Let's go for it. And so. Yes. 
Yeah, it's the confidence. They are not really caring about the logic of what they're doing at all. <laughs> at, 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 any, at any seeming level. I mean, how is it in any way, shape, or form the best plan you can come up with that if you can develop a gold-eating virus that going after a particular currency exchange in the hopes that you can make money off of speculating on another currency, how, how could you think that is the best way to make money out of having something like that? I and how do you think you wouldn't get caught when you sent the head of your freaking lab <laughs> in to become an employee at the EEMC, which means they had to have been vetted and I'm sure photoed for ID badges and, and you know, photograph like I said, photographed and, and background checked and all that. And they're, they're going to know. They're going to know right where that went to. And I'm sure that even if you did make a killing off of the Baltic mark, if they find out that you are the one behind this, there's going to be some, you know, ramifications if there were police in this universe. But, you know. <laughs> it's just... So, I, I mean, that that brings to mind a couple of things that I, I kind of noted about this episode, slightly more general things about this episode, but... One is the fact that we have had a series of storylines that are connected with sometimes peripherally, but with trading on the markets, whether that's the stock exchange or whether that's the, mm -hmm. the currency markets. Largely, it seems because that, you know, that's that's the link that they are connecting all the various episodes back to Marcel with. Mm -hmm. But this this one is certainly very overtly focused on yes, we're going to go after the, you know, manipul manipulating the international currency exchange rates. And that's how we're going to make money. Yes. Um, I'm going to uh, just throw out here this up on towards the end of my list of things. But um, how does Marcel make money off of this? I can't figure out the dynamic. Well, again, I mean, you've mentioned this before. It, it, you, I think it, I think it was the the bugged wheat episode where you observed the fact that actually the actions of our heroes prevented there ever being any fluctuations on the market. Exactly, because they acted so quickly that there was no opportunity to to bet. You know, the basically they kept things chugging along in a very predictable way. And, and so all Marcel was doing was predicting that things would be predictable. Yes. Which isn't necessarily a good way of making huge amounts of money because even if you put a large bet on something safe like that, there's always the possibility that something completely unconnected to the thing you have inside information about not happening may happen and then you'll lose everything that way. So. Yeah, it it's the same thing. I, the only thing that I'm so I'm not even sure how he could do it, and not just because the market stays stable. Okay, so if if the Baltic mark does not go up because there is no destruction of the EEC, you can't make money speculating that way. You can't make money by saying, "Well, I'm speculating that the Baltic mark won't go up because there's no way to make money in that," as we said about the bug wheat. And 
I'm not sh- I don't know whether you can sell short. I know in stock you can sell short. I don't know about on money markets whether or not you could sell short and say, well, I'm going to I'm going to sell non-Baltic mark currencies that I don't own and I'm going to buy them back when they crash. Cheaper I'm sure I'm sure, I don't, I'm sure I, you can think about it there there's some market trader who's come up with some financial instruments that allows you to do exactly that. So it's possible. I don't I don't I don't have difficulty believing that. And in fairness, there is, I think, a comment in this episode that what during the initial issue with the computers, there's a 15 percent drop in the Baltic mark. So that, that was that's that an was unexpected my... shift, which is an opportunity to make money. Wait, there was a drop in the Baltic mark. Wouldn't that Sorry, be the one? No, that a, would... a, the other ones, a drop in the other currencies. Yes. Okay, so that means the public knows something's going wrong. That was what I was going to get to. The only way this could affect the markets is if somebody knows that the EEMC has been compromised, in which case confidence would drop in those currencies. Yes. And then you could, you would see, a, you'd see something going on. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hard sell to say someone's going to execute it's like if they using the Goldfinger analogy, it's like, how would you make money off Goldfinger failing? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I mean, if he destroys Fort Knox's gold, then gold prices for everyone goes up. But if he doesn't destroy Fort Knox, nothing. So, <laughs> just, which, yeah, uh, is what ev- everyone is expecting. Everyone is expecting that thing. The point is having some information about something unexpected that is going to happen that only you have, you are, only you have that knowledge to. And if you can then, bet on that thing happening one way or another then that's where you make your killing so i i think the fact that there is a there is a shift that definitely opens up an opportunity for marcel people may be expecting those currencies to drop further it's creating uncertainty in the markets and if marcel knows how that uncertainty is going to be resolved then there's a bigger opportunity for him then but i don't think i don't think it stacks up particularly well yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like it would be his best approach. I mean, if yeah, it, it just, it, it opens all sorts of it's, questions, which I'm sure we're going to find out next week. Um, well, the, 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 the questions I'm left with is, are, are to do with how, how Marcel has this kind of very uh, perfect insight into not only what the criminal underworld is planning. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, he must have a, he must have a network of, informants who are willing to basically you know squeal on their other nefarious uh, contacts to him mm-hmm. in order that he can use that to his advantage because he he is not helping them out he is in fact he's he his interest is in their failure and in addition to knowing what they are planning he also has to know that the bug's team are going to be involved in Mm -hmm. responding to it which is not necessarily something that is obviously always going to be the case he 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 can't know how they're going to be hired i mean they can't know when they're going to be hired in advance surely they might be they might be trying to to get a bit of business somewhere but they you know they won't know that any given customer is going to take on their services so how about this for, for a made-up uh, attempt to justify that? What if Marcel is actually helping Christo and Pike 
perhaps giving them ideas, giving them, mm -hmm. giving them some direction. So then he knows that they're going to do this plan. He's not part of it. He's just, you know, whispering in an ear here and there, knowing okay. that they'll yeah. try the plan and then team bugs will come in and thwart them. So again, assuming that he can find a way to make money off them failing, he he's setting them up to be taken down by bugs instead of he's finding out about their plan and capitalizing on it. So that's plausible. And it would particularly make sense if he made sure that no one else found out that he had been involved in these plans because yeah. that whole string of them now have fail you know if he if he if he is known to be if he is indeed a person behind them and he's known to be the person behind them he's going to become somewhat toxic you would have thought <laughs> to any other criminal who's kind of he he moseys up and says hey guys i can help you with this and you're like uh hang on aren't you marcel the guy who was behind the failed bug wheat thing <laughs> yeah. the failed spaceship thing the, you know all of these kind of failed things you're not really exactly golden boy i think we'll go it on our own <laughs> well i think you know he'd be out of business as will all the other security firms in london because uh, they all put in top of the art state state-of-the-art uh stuff that can be broken in seconds yeah <laughs> and it's there is yeah yeah so okay let's let's just hit the warden while we're at it then i was very confused and or disturbed or whatever the word is when the warden said Basically, you know, it's so great of you. You're so nice and you're forgiving because you're actually been betting on the success of the people who put you here, which puts a whole new level on how much the warden knows what's going on in this equation. Yes. Up, up to this point, I thought the warden was just completely and absolutely duped at stupidity that this guy's just, you know, he's just doing legitimate stock trading or whatever it is he's doing from his computer and now yes, suddenly and it's like good insights yeah that i now i'm just completely confused as what's going on with the warden there and then of course i know that it's it's couched in 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 a little bit of verbal trickery but honestly is anyone so stupid not to get that when you say, hey, so what happens when that thermometer hits the top? He says, well, your job will get a whole lot more interesting. <laughs> it's like, is there anybody who would not realize that means you're going to be up a river without a paddle at that point? I, I well, How else is a warden's job interesting? Unless... The, whole, the, whole, the whole exchange is not. You know, it doesn't make any sense from the point of view of the warden as a character in terms of his knowledge and motivation. It's purely designed to create that dramatic irony around we know that Marcel is not doing this for the benefit of the Bugs team. He's not he is not he has not forgiven them and we you know we we can feel smug because we understand the warden's naivety in respect to that and that's the same thing with the magic thermometer it's like we know that um the stuff is going to hit the fan as you say and again we can feel smug because we've realized it and the warden doesn't i just i just hope that when the thermometer hits the top we get the cute little animated graphic of the top bursting in the mercury 
spewing out the top because the fun funny thing is it's it's uh i mean why why would why would you have a graphic like that on your stock trading app or whatever the hell it is <laughs> that he, he's looking at it's a totalizer it's it's yeah what you know 90s tv telethons would have had for can we exactly can we achieve our fundraising target by the end of the evening that's why it's there because audiences will recognize it oh yeah for that but there's no reason to have it there there's no there's no logical sense that the warden might have for why marcel should have a target for achieving a certain size of his fund uh-huh. and while it may be revealed that there is something that Marcel has in mind that he does need a certain amount of money for. Equally, there's no benefit to him for displaying that on the screen. I, I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what it is. When he gets that much money, he will have enough money to buy that private prison that he's in. <laughs> and he'll be the boss. And he will just like have the warden put in his cell and he'll take over the office and it'll just be it'll just be a corporate takeover prison instead of a, a jailbreak. That's what it he's is. Lex Luthor. well yeah he is kind of he kind of is and you know something and he really doesn't need to do go to all this he's going to be out in just a few years anyway because here we're only one year after he's been arrested and his his prison sentence has been reduced from 140 to 70 years next year he'll get that down to 35 you know next year he'll get that cut in half again it'll be about what 17 and a quarter something like that. And then in the next year, it's going to be under 10 and he'll be out in no time. This show just needs to go about, I don't know what, 10 years and he should be out with good behavior. No problem. Then he can get him. Yeah. I I mean, 140 years. I, it's, they can a warden really go, Hey, I'm letting you off early (laughs) after I'm dead and gone. Of course. So, I mean, clearly he can't, but also clearly no one is going to be given a sentence of 140 years or no one is going to expect to serve a sentence of 140 years. It's not it's not going for, for realism, but then... Do they we, not do that in the UK? There, people can get sentences of the, uh, that are way longer than their lifespan here, particularly if they're guilty of multiple crimes and they, instead of serving them concurrently, they make them serve them consecutively. It is intended to prevent them from getting parole. Um, but yeah, I, gu- I, gu- have- I guess, I mean, it's it's certainly theoretically possible that you could serve sentences consecutively. I don't, I don't know by what mechanism it would be prevented from happening, but I don't think. Well, you guys might do it because it's inhumane, you know, like that whole we won't kill people either thing. But, you know, over here, put them in jail for 500 years. It doesn't matter. He's a criminal. We're just going to feed him and eat him and hit him. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I I honestly don't know what the, the situation on that is, but I, I do know that it is at least believable over here if somebody said, yeah, he's, he's serving three consecutive life sentences. And a life sentence is, I don't know, there's actually a number that they associate with how long a life sentence is, but I don't know what it is. But if they do say consecutive, you're not getting out and you're not getting parole. And that's that's the way they do it. So at 140 years, Marcel probably would not be out for a very long time, uh, even on parole for good behavior. But anyway, let's see. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run through a couple things that that 
hit my attention. Most of these are kind of nitpickily thingies, but at the same time, they are kind of weird. Like, when did Roz become a biogenetic engineer? <laughs> when wasn't it Beckett that had the biology knowledge, like, last week or the week before? Week before. Yes, yes. And so, great. She's got her lab and her little microscope, and she's just plucking away on doing the background work before she gets over to the the bad guy's lab. I did love the fact that she used their lab to synthesize it. I thought that was great. It's like, okay, yeah. well, I, I, I plausibly believe that that lab could do it. <laughs> not your not your facilities at Team Bugs, but I plausibly believe you could do it at that lab. Yeah, okay. Not that she could do it, because I thought she was a tech hacker, but okay. <clears throat> and, of course, she makes a virus that destroys all carbon life. Wow. That, okay. That's, and it's, she's just got it in a bottle. She's rushing around, running with this glass bottle filled with a thing that will kill your life. Is it a virus? I think that's what she said it was. Yes. I think that's what she said it was. That it, it, like, instead of acting on gold, it acts on carbon-based material. So it's, it is the same as the antivirus bacillus, I think. I mean, it was a little techno-babbly, but that was what I took out of it, was that that it was basically the same thing, just just tweaked a little bit to, to work on something different. So it will eat. Also, it would eat itself. But so maybe, it'll, you know, maybe it'll just burn out in a couple hours. I, I you know, but it was kind of, eh, I hope none of the, nope, hope none of them mutate before they all die out to continue to survive. Pike, interesting in that series of villains in this show that don't seem to have clear-cut plans for how they deal with people. So she goes into the place, she knocks the guy unconscious with her special dart gun, and then she blows him up intentionally. I'm not even sure why she blew up the computers in that sequence where she bombed him. But those two switched back and forth between dart guns and real guns with no seeming plan. Did, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes they're trying not to kill people. Sometimes, eh, kill them. And then even when they not kill people, they go ahead and kill them anyway. So. No, I didn't. I didn't see the logic, but I did. I did feel a kind of sense of relief that we seem to have moved on from this sort of energy, energy blasting taser things. This week, they'll be back. I'm sure next week it'll be, it'll be energy darts. <laughs> Um, let's see, Christo, I think I mentioned that he would be a prime suspect if this went through. Uh, I mean, Roz figured it out, or was it Beckett that figured it out? It was Roz that figured it out while she was, uh, uh, poking around on the computer. So I, I think he would have been a prime suspect in, in any investigation if this had gone on. But I also want to know how he got the, intercepted the security guy with the key. You know, that that was a that whole sequence where he and Pike's corpse are sealed in the lab. Apparently through brute force, he's able to open the seals because that's what it looked like he was doing. Mm -hmm. Force. And then he chased Roz. And instead of following Roz, he intercepted the guy bringing the key. He found located high waylaid. I don't remember if he stole the uniform or not, but 
I don't think he did steal the uniform. And then still arrived moments after Roz did at the the facility. That was a strange... How did he even know that the key was coming? It was just... It made me think he had more information about the place than he did. I'd like to think that in my head. But I think it was just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This will be a good trick. We won't reveal it. No one will be suspicious of the security guard because when he gets out of the car, we'll only show his feet. Except that Will knew. Will knew it was him, right? Oh, I mean, oh yeah. I mean, I knew the, it was it's, him. It's the the fact they're only showing the feet is like heavy signaling and very. <laughs> yes, they were telegraphing. It's like, well, okay. So I, I mean, I I think either what it comes down to, they're not. They're not they're not bothering too much about the internal logic. They're just sort of new showing it. Yeah. Through the kind of language of, of uh, television cliche, or there's been a bit of editing there that has taken something out. That could be. It doesn't really matter. Why, why was the virus deploying device shaped like a bug complete with wings that open up to release? Is that, is that branding? Was that a calling card to tell Team Bugs that they need to be? Because they're not called Team Bugs. They're called Ismos. And I, and it's not that kind of bug. So, I mean, thought that was... No, well, we've, had, it, we've, we've, we've had multiple episodes with actual bugs in now. Yeah, but when she pulled me. that big ladybug-shaped thing out, and I'm like, wow, I'll bet that contains a bug. But you know, I was thinking virus bugs, but but it's like that is that's some serious branding you're doing there. <laughs> it's like unnecessary branding that you're doing there. But when she put it in there and the wings flipped open, thought, come on, <laughs> who designed that? I expect it to be very rudimentary because you know you work on the virus and you go. By the way, I need something to deploy this. Oh. Yeah, I can whip that up and then go. Okay. That that one was just curious, but I'll I'll take that on to the vents at the EEMC. What? What was that? That compartment that she put it in looked like did did you have vacuum tubes at your banks? Do you still have vacuum tubes over at your banks? I don't know. It, or or businesses. Remember, but... Do you know what I'm talking I mean, about? I, yeah, because I've seen Brazil. Okay. Oh, okay. Right, right. So that's what that looked like to me. Not an access point to put something in the air conditioning system. Well, it's not the air conditioning. What? It's cooling, isn't it? Or the cooling. Well, well, the cooling is an air conditioner, though. It's it's obviously not fluid. I so it is. It, it's some sort of gas mechanism. Otherwise, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily know it's air, right? It's 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 a yeah. It's, so if it's not air and you've got a little door that you can open it up, that even better. Well, which is presumably an airlock. Uh, didn't really give me that impression, but okay, I'll I'll, I'll no, that's right. I don't know. I don't know what you would need an airlock for, though, to put something well, to... into the coolant system. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know because it. I mean, it depends how you. It's impossible to say without without knowing what it is. I mean, you would imagine that it would be some sort of gas that would probably come in a compressed form and would be put into the system using it. You know, 
a more mundane <laughs> connection with a tap. I don't know. But, here, but here's, uh, here's why this cracks me up more than just that ridiculous contrivance. We have three different sets of things going on in this building, in this one building. We have the Halon fire suppression system, which does have a proper, hey, let's hook this up to the gas ejector system connection, which luckily her bottle also fits on. But, you know, they take a Halon tank out and, and stick it on there. So, so not only does the cooling system have this weird sort of open up compartment and stick it into the into the flow, but the Halon, the fire suppression system has a screw-in bottle mechanism. I am questioning what you need a Halon fire suppression system for a vault that contains nothing but steel walls and gold, but, you know, okay. Um, and then you have the building exhaust mechanism, which apparently is pressurized because he has to depressurize it for him to go in there and is open with open vents to like the computer control room. And what toxic gases would you be sucking through there? It's not going to be lethal quantities of carbon monoxide. Couldn't be. So I, it's just, this, this is the kind of stuff where you're just like going, whatever, let's just throw it. We need it. We need them climbing through vents. How can we make this harder? I know let's make the air in the vents poisonous and, and how can we make it even harder? Let's make it so he can't take his air bottles through it because everyone's always probably complaining that the air vents are so big that a human can crawl through them when typically they're not um, in the real world. <laughs> so just, and, and I keep thinking every time I ever see one of those shows where they're like scuba diving and they get somewhere and they get to the door and they go, I can't get in with my tank on. I'm going to have to take the tank yep. off and swim in the rest of the way. I always think, why don't you just like, I don't know, pull your tank along behind you and keep it attached to your face. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> not push it ahead of I you. I can't answer that question, but it, I mean, it's definitely a reference to, to that. Again, it's a, it's a kind of well-used cliche and they're just adapting it to the particular yeah. circumstances in the, Bolt with the the kind of poisonous gas scenario. Okay, my last my last thing. Oh, the computers. The computers explode if they get too hot. I love that. I love that. <laughs> that one's that one's my favorite. I, I the scene where they go, well, we've got dynamic RAM with its own power source. Cool I thought, cool. <laughs> I, you mean you've got battery backed up memory? Uh, oh, okay. And I, all I can remember is the scene from Logopolis. It's bubble memory, Doctor. <laughs> bubble memory? What's that? It's, just like, it's not the same thing. By the way, just in case anyone else, I know they're not the same thing. Bubble memory does not require battery backup. But anyway, oh, that was funny. Also, do well, I... circuit boards use gold traces exclusively? I don't think they do. I, that's not my understanding of how they are. I mean, there's gold in them and they certainly use gold on the edge connectors because it's, it doesn't oxidize. And mm -hmm. I think they use a gold layer over copper to prevent the copper from oxidizing. But if that's the case, if you eat the gold away, the copper is not going to go bad right away. It's just going to have a less. And obviously they could replace it because they replaced all their computer systems with computers without gold in them. At, at some point 
during the course of this uh, story. So, uh, yeah, like the computer stuff does make me uh, laugh a little bit. But I did love him pulling those cards out. I haven't had to pull a card like that out of a computer in in forever. Actually, I'm not sure I've ever pulled one out of a computer. I've pulled one out of a phone system, which is essentially a computer, but uh, like that. And and if he had just undone the clips on the top of that card he was trying to remove, it would have come out a lot faster <laughs> when he was tugging on that last one. It looks like the clip is not actually open to me. Yes, bearing in mind, he's the guy who didn't know what a mouse was. He may not. That is true. I will. I will say. I mean, the the fact that the computers explode was entertaining enough in its own right. But it was it was more the fact that oh, we talked about we talked about this last week again. We're talking about uh, the kind of cliche, the action movie cliches, but frequently you have a a time bomb with a countdown timer, and this is a proxy mm. for that. We we have a a computer explosion. That they can, that you know, not only do they predict that the computer is going to explode, which is, as you say, one of those things that you might like to think about mitigating, but also that they know just how soon it is going to explode to the to the second, essentially. So you hmm. get another count, and then there's a, again, yeah, later on, there's another, you know, how much time have we got for something that it would be very difficult to predict? It's like, oh, approximately twenty-seven minutes. Yes approximately so, 27 minutes that's not like about half an hour that's that's not as approximate right i mean you could see mr spock saying uh how long do we have spock it's like my calculations are approximately 27.235748 minutes captain I don't know about it's like I don't know about mr spock k9 perhaps yes k9 too no spock could do it absolutely um yeah it's like you can't even say that fast enough that the point two three seven five nine becomes irrelevant. But uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's at the third stroke. It will be twenty seven point two three five six five one eight. Beep beep beep. Um, also, there was one. Th- all those things are just like, like I say, they just don't care. They they they're they're just having fun with it. They're running with it. Have fun. There was one thing in it that I thought was a glaring technical problem. And I, I really think it was a failure of design. And that is whenever they would show the picture of the thermal imaging of the vault, they completely failed to move Ed around the room because he did move around the room from time to time. And it never changed position where he was. And he was always red. Oh, well spotted. And the gold was never anything but green or yellow. So when they were going, oh, it's getting close. It's like, no, that's not how you read a thermal imager. It's not even Ed's temperature yet. It hasn't even reached 98.6 degrees. And they, all they did was they expanded the color change across the room so that more of the gold was changing color, but they never showed that it was increasing in temperature and they never showed ed was moving around the room and i thought that's that's really that's really poor that that's a terrible miss on on the screen there either that or it's a completely worthless display but it was you know like so that that was my one actual real thing that when i watched this i'm like 
yeah, okay, you guys failed. You, your production team failed on that one. Oh, and uh, I did think it was cool that the vault has flash flash spotlights flashing on all the gold. <laughs> yeah. To uh... I got, I had a note of that. Yeah, <laughs> I thought, yeah, they they really they yeah, they hang out in the vault a lot that they bothered with the disco lighting. Disco lights on the also. What is the <laughs> so you've sealed the vault and you've trapped someone inside? Why is this the time to deploy the lasers? And and why deploy the lasers one at a time? <laughs> what was? Why wouldn't all the lasers come down all at once and just take care of anything? You know, I mean, they, the euphemism for it to be an immobilizer, I guess you could you because it's obviously going to kill him. Um, you, you could make the argument this is as long as he doesn't move, i.e., he's immobilized, he'll be fine. That's the euphemism. It never warned him of that. No, it's not. It's clearly not justifiable force. There's no, there's going, there's going to be no legal defense for, for using them. Unless, you know, burns the body away completely. Then there's no evidence. (laughs) But I mean, it was funny, right? It works on the funny level. So you think you get around. Yeah. Yeah. You you think he gets around the first one by getting behind something so it can't see him. And another one comes down. Ha. Then he's clever and he knocks one out by having one shoot the other and, and one, then he beats one with a gold bar and that's funny. And then the third one comes out. It's like, well, why wasn't that third one out there? But it is funny. It is funny. How heavy is a gold brick? I couldn't find out. Oh, I don't know. I thought they were very heavy. I thought a brick that size was, was like, you don't pick that up with one hand and sniff it size. (laughs) Yes. Or listen to it or feel it, caress it against your cheek size. But I I could not find out because I couldn't find a standardized gold brick size. <laughs> like I'm, I'm talking about TV gold brick, you know, TV prop gold brick. How heavy would that be? I couldn't find it. Well, it it, it would appear that they they are about four hundred grams, but I don't think they are as large as you see in that in that vault. See, that's my point. I think those those are much smaller. I think those four hundred gram ones are. Quite a bit smaller yeah. than those bricks. Yeah. Four hundred grams is nothing, but yeah. But it, I mean, it would also make sense to have smaller but movable um, mm-hmm. ingots than it would than it would to have them in large and yeah. Well, and why I are guess they on? Pedestals? I guess they're going to move out of the vault, but <laughs> why they put them on pedestals? Why didn't they just prop them up on the sides or something? Because it yeah, it looks nice when you turn the disco lights on and can dance around them. <laughs> dance on them yes climb up on exactly. top and dance on the gold <laughs> that's what ed should have been doing if it hadn't been for the lasers uh i, I like i said i don't have anything I, I i it was it was fun it was fun it it did make me wonder about consistency like what is Roz's skill set obviously it's everything and that line where is it beckett that said it I think it was Beckett that said it. Ed doesn't have any scientific background. One of us should have gone in. It's like, I didn't even think Beckett was really the scientific guy either. Frankly, I thought he was the spy guy. It's like the adventurer guy. And then, and then Roz is like the technology person. And I know they've all uh, 
you know, kind of melded into one team of of experts in all that area. But but Roz's thing was Roz's thing was computers, so it's like there yeah. isn't anyone in the team who can do this, and they don't seem to have compared notes between episodes where they are going to have these additional skills or expertise that's needed in terms of who who in the team is going to be that person. Right, and Roz should have gone to the lab. If she's the one who has literally has the ability to well, they engineer her own virus, but she didn't go, right? They sent Ed. And it's like, why? Why did you send Ed? That just doesn't make any sense. And obviously the moment that Pike says to him, oh, put it in the reverse polarity flange inducer. And he he goes, oh, uh, yeah, okay, I'll put that in there. And, and Roz is on the phone. So that, that thing doesn't exist. Too late. You're rumbled. Like Roz would have known. I just, I know she was fascinated by the virus back in the lab, but it just feels like maybe, maybe they should send her to the computer labs and the bio labs. And when they need to inspect airplane places, send Ed. Well, obviously they should send her to do everything. I mean, she's obviously (laughs) far and away the most confident one. She's she's the best driver. She's the best computer hacker. She's the most quick-witted. She's the most authoritative. And yeah, I. But then you know, I, again, I think one of the one of the kind of things aside from the music that kind of drives that drives the episode along and makes it really enjoyable is Jay Griffiths is just really, really, really good. I think we may have talked about this before, but wow. She is really, really, really good. And I, you know, she was in a lot of things in the 90s. It's just, I, I, I don't know why we haven't, I don't know why I haven't seen more of her since then, because uh, she, she really does manage to make, she, she, man, she manages to sell this nonsense, which, you know, <laughs> okay. is no mean thing. That is a skill. Yeah, that's a skill. <sighs> that's right. So there's one other thing that was um, that I was thinking about when you were talking about the fact that there is uh, there is an easier way for the for the bad guys to make money in in this episode, than, or you know the, the currency speculation approach is a very kind of convoluted way of going about something. And yeah, I mean, one of them was that there seems to be a kind of theme around that that speculation. But the other the other thing. And uh, you know, I think we've I think we've kind of touched on the way that the sci-fi stuff in these episodes is, is used as a MacGuffin, but it's mm-hmm. also the kind of low value that is placed on technology in a show that is all about technology, because essentially the the kind of science fictional element in this is well, the fictional aspect of it is you have you have this microbe which is able to to form this kind of magical compound with the gold that is that somehow makes it unstable. And so they've basically taken something that is, and say it's necessarily impossible, but it's kind of pretty inconceivable. And so they decide to say, well, what if this impossible thing was was actually possible? What, you know, what then would happen? And actually, no, nothing particularly interesting is happening about it. And in particular, it's not like this is, this is the, there is an opportunity around the development of, this new technology or this technological breakthrough to get value from that itself mm-hmm. it tends not to be that when they have these kind of amazing new technologies in bugs that 
the technology itself is something that you know everyone is trying to trade or steal or whatever i mean i think we have seen instances of that but more commonly it is that some ne'er-do-well or some criminal mastermind has decided that this is a brilliant way to conduct some kind of heist or extortion or Mm -hmm. whatever the hell it might be in a very kind of in a complicated way and what what's so surprising about that is that it seems like the the kind of the the intellectual powerhouse in the world of bugs are all of these scheming villains that's that's pretty Mm -hmm. much where all of the scientific breakthroughs are happening in the criminal underworld mostly yeah yeah mostly the 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 overall effect i think is is that we the viewing audience get the message that actually the the technology in this isn't isn't that valuable in its own right it's always just a means to an end and in a show that is ostensibly all about celebrating the kind of technology and the gizmos and the gadgets i think that's i think that's a bit of a misstep i don't know yeah. if we'll carry on into the next series but that's where i feel like we are now it's it's almost like they they've they feel like they can't make a traditional sort of traditional thriller out of uh, out of this kind of te- technological scenario and actually use the technology in a way that is more interesting i i can see uh and i'm sure we've had some instances of this but in other words uh a company makes something that they expect to get a lot of money for because it's a cool technology and someone steals it and it uses it for some nefarious purpose that is not intended. I could see how you could, you know, there is sort of the cautionary tale of what might go wrong. And I will give you an example in this particular episode. I, even though I made a joke about it, I couldn't off the top of my head, think what the hell good it would be to have a virus that eats gold. I mean, apart from the goldfinger aspect where you decrease the gold supply and my gold goes up, eating gold is not really a problem that the world is trying to solve. So the immediate cash value of saying, we've invented something that will destroy money. Uh, Okay, maybe not. But we see through the course of the episode that Roz takes what they did and modifies it so that it can target something else in this case, carbon. And if that's the case, we are just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the plastic-eating virus that could be useful, that could have some uh, extreme monetary value to bio-grow and could also be something that someone could use as a weapon in an unintended fashion that could, you know, give them their... Uh, their MacGuffin that they needed for a story. So, <laughs> but I mean, lots of the lots of these technologies could be could be misused in in ways. But it's it's like they're being deliberately developed for them for that purpose. Yeah, like well, I've spent millions of yeah, billions of like dollars going... setting up this lab so that I can develop a virus that I can use to do some speculating on the market for. <laughs> It's it's a very it feels like a very low value action. It's like saying I've discovered this brilliant way to turn satellite dishes into dustbin lids, and it's like yeah, I can believe you could plausibly do that, but why the hell would you? Surely there's a cheaper way to cover your dustbin, and uh-huh. 
what a waste of good technology. And I think there is something in, in this particular scenario, which is about destroying destroying the value of something that has, a, a, I wouldn't say economic worth in its own right, but which is supporting the, 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 the economy, as in, you know, the kind of everything being based on gold. It's a bit like we've got now in terms of encryption and obviously the kind of criminal value you could get from being able to break the strong encryption that secures all the kind of online transactions that actually underpin the the modern economy that would that would be a huge thing except the amount of computing power that you would need or the kind of mathematical breakthrough you would have to make would just seem to have such huge ramifications right. for humankind for beyond just that kind of petty uh that petty criminal application that i don't know it it just it it seems a waste to be always using technology in this way i i wonder this has crossed my mind but it is it, it falls in that same sometimes you can tell when the writers get it and i'm not talking about bugs necessarily but it feels to me like these are not writers who have an interest in technology. These mm. are writers who have been told, use technology, look for some gee whiz stuff and, and find a way to use that. And they're really just not giving it thought because it's not that they're using, it's not like us looking back on it going, oh, isn't that quaint that they thought this is how technology was going to play out. It is, it is fundamentally, they are just not looking at the ramifications of what that technology would mean if they had it at, at, at that time. You know, let's, whether it's real or not, science fiction is, here's a technology, or can be, here's a technology, how does, that, how does that affect the world? And they're just not, they're just not doing that. They're just making a toy for to be used in a crime. And yeah, yeah. I, I just, I think, you know, if you had a different batch of writers or you had a different showrunner who actually had an interest in it, then it would be very different. Well, it's interesting because I think, I, I, I think that Stephen Gallagher is someone who does have a sense for these things. You know, we've, we've seen his, his work on Doctor Who, then there's the 11th hour. He, he definitely, he is capable of exploring these things. I guess Brian Clemens may be more focused on the kind of the traditional action adventure type series because that's more his bag. But then you just thought, well, okay, that's why you've brought Stephen Gallagher on board. But it, I, I, I mean, I don't know. And and the the interesting thing about this one, of course, is that we've got new writers to the show on this. So Bruna Heller and Alison Leithart. Actually, the interesting thing about this episode writing credit is that it's phrased as being story by those two writers whereas apart from the two episodes that we have discussed where there is no writing credit at all my recollection has been that every other episode has given a written by credit and normally if you if you have a story by credit you also have a kind of teleplay credit 
unless it's some, someone who came up with the idea and someone who actually well exactly so you know is this one down to clemens or gallagher um again you know just just like the uncredited episode i don't actually know what's gone on i don't know who really is responsible for this script i i think again union rules are going to be different from from one country to the next or they may be different from one country to the next but yeah i think you're right i think story by means somebody brought in a story and they probably were given there's like a set number of you know we'll pay you for this story and you turn in the script and if you do you get a written by and then we don't like the script you get the first rewrite and if you finish that then you get a written by and if we don't like that at that point somebody else will do it whether it's the script editor or somebody else and you'll get a story by so it, it's usually after a couple of failed or if it's just somebody who, who pitched an idea and didn't want to write it yeah i mean it doesn't ne- it doesn't necessarily have to be that and i've no idea what yeah. happened here i i actually felt that the you know, in terms of the construction, the pace of the episode, all the things that made me enjoy it, it felt like it, you know, generally speaking, the writing was a lot better than it was in uh, in in Blackout. But, um, well, aside from the cool bananas line, of course. Um, <laughs> that sounds like Roz to me, though. That, that well, really sounds yeah, like Roz right. I'll give it. I'll give it a pass. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that for... for 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 all the craft within the storytelling there, it doesn't show a kind of, as you say, a getting it in terms of the technology, either a, a passion for or insight into why technological innovation is exciting in its own right. Mm-hmm. Or important, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we have probably, unless you have anything specific else, we've probably nattered on about this one <laughs> You you mentioned you mentioned Christo and uh, I wonder if you recognise Sean Gilda in in this who played who played the part who has popped up it seems to me in a lot of British a lot of really good British TV shows um, you may not have recognised him from Doctor Who mm, uh, no I mean I he looks he's... awfully familiar but you know honestly with that sort of beardy face and that particular hairstyle. He looks like a lot of people. <laughs> I, I, in, 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 in Doctor Who, as a Sycorax, he wasn't necessarily terribly, terribly uh, recognizable. But just, you know, in a series of really good shows of thrillers of a particular type um, across, you know, pretty much the last 25 plus years, uh, Resort to Murder stands out, the original uh, State of Play, not the American film remake. Um, the shadow line uh and and uh you know i believe he's still busy working away so uh yeah interesting to see him in what is a, a relatively early appearance hmm. i can't say that i've seen him in any of those things um i may have seen him in a guest actor like i say he looks familiar but that was the best i could get it but th- there is such a how do i put this there is such a look to the guest actors on this show I knew uh-huh. what I knew what Pike would look like before she turned around. <laughs> yeah, there there is something about that that when I saw her walking, it's like I bet I know what this face is because you know, they were kind of almost distinctively not showing her face, and then <clears throat> the turnaround and I go, that's exactly the look I was expecting out of that 
it's very 90s, nearly late 80s, early 90s. And it, they they seem to cast to a type. So uh, Christo kind of fit with that too uh, in this in this show. So last thing, you kind of alluded to this, but I I need to I need to drive it home, which is that they introduced a microbe that eats gold, and you suggested it could be made into something useful. So the Doomwatch connection. Mm. They're, they're they're doing the plastic eaters, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's a deliberate reference or an accidental one? Because you you seem to think they were deliberately doing some Goldfinger references in this. I don't know that they were necessarily doing Goldfinger references. I just I when I saw Auric, which obviously is Latin or gold, so I mean, it wasn't a surprise. It was just suddenly the whole well, I'll destroy the gold supply and my my wealth will go up. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely kind of, uh... Yeah. 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 I don't know if it was a Doom Watch tie or not. I haven't seen a lot in this show that makes me think that they're they've watched Doom Watch. (laughs) Frankly. (laughs) It's like see my previous comment about not the way they look at the technology. It it doesn't seem to be about what the problems with the technology might be. It seems to be about can I make up a gizmo that's get my plot from point A to point B kind of thing. Yeah. What is the next episode? Do you know offhand? I do indeed. The next episode is called, rather pleasingly, Schrodinger's Bomb. And oh, it is yes. Actually yeah, by Stephen Gallagher. So we will be able to assess our, our criticisms of, of uh, the kind of sci-fi chops of the, of the writing of this show in terms of, you know, whether he, whether he elevates the game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess here, okay? Total guess. If it's written by Gallagher and we saw this episode with Marcel's thermometer about to hit the top, I'm going to guess that this is Marcel's thermometer hits the top episode because that would be, that would be Gallagher's baby, probably. Could be. Could be. We shall see. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners? I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Fusion Patrol, we hope you'll consider supporting us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol or buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently doing a special series on Season 2 of Babylon 5. There's over a decade of previous episodes available at fusionpatrol.com. Come join the conversation on our website or Twitter. You can also find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.